again, I think you have to focus on the people who are vibrant, who are taking care of themselves, who do have positive uh, attitudes about aging, who are interested in, in being intellectually active, continuing to work, whatever it may be. So it's uh, it's it's a fascinating thing. I never really thought I'd be. Last week you pointed out that I was excited about it, but it's it's a fascinating area beyond the dollar signs, right? And I think that's what's got me kind of jazzed up about it. Welcome to Longevity Gains, the show that reveals the near limitless opportunities for digital marketers and entrepreneurs in the longevity economy. We're talking about the people aged 50 and over who already account for more than half of consumer spending in the US and 83% of household wealth, which will only increase in the years to come. It's the $22 trillion opportunity you can't afford to ignore. Brian, I am uh, finding myself in a state of significant Red Rocks FOMO right now. For whatever reason, over the last week, a podcaster that I listened to went to a concert at Red Rocks. A radio guy that I listened to here in Dallas just went to a concert at Red Rocks. And you recently saw Duran Duran at Red Rocks, uh, which has really just highlighted for me the fact that I have never been there in my dad's hometown to see a concert at Red Rocks, which I've heard is just the greatest concert venue uh ever so i'm experiencing a lot of fomo and it's reminding me that i've got to plan a trip out there yeah it is pretty epic and i've been there a handful of times even though it's right down the road it's literally if you go from boulder to golden and you just kind of veer off to the right there's red rocks and like every gen xer remembers you two recording uh what what song was that that was it Sunday Bloody Sunday? Yeah, the live version at Red Rocks. And at that time, I was like, where the hell is Red Rocks? Is that in like Ireland or Scotland or something? Because it was all misty and everything. Yeah. No, it's in Colorado, right down the road. Um, I've seen uh, Soundgarden there, Nine Inch Nails. Saw Jack White in the rain, which was epic. Uh, Wilco. But yeah, Duran Duran was fantastic. But I'll tell you what the the surprise sleeper was, Nile Rodgers and Chic, uh, if you guys remember your disco days, uh, opened. And of course, they like La Freak and Good Times and Rapper's Delight sampled Good Times. So they did Rapper's Delight. It was pretty wow. hilarious. But what was cool is Nile Rodgers is a super producer. He's like produced Madonna, Bowie, Duran Duran, uh, tons of artists. So the middle portion of their set uh, were covers. They played Let's Dance and Modern Love from Bowie, Like a Virgin and Material Girl from Madonna. Wow. I, was, I did not expect that <laughs> at all. And it was great. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty cool. You, uh, But you definitely need to see a show there. Anyone you see, uh, as people say, will take it to the next level at Red Rocks because it's that kind of special environment. Yeah, no, I've got to. It is definitely on my bucket list of things to do and places to be. Um, all right, well, let's hop into this week's episode. Uh, as you're listening uh, to this podcast, uh, we should now be available, by the time you listen to this, we should be available on a lot of the major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of those. 
if you're listening to us, but you want to listen to us somewhere else and we're not in the place you want us to be, uh, just let us know because we're in the process of getting all the podcast distribution uh, set up. And then, Brian, do you want to speak real quick about the ebook that actually just went out uh, today, this week, uh, as we're recording this? Yeah, uh, so far a big hit. Uh, got a ton of new subscribers over at Longevity Gains. Welcome to all of you if you're listening. And uh, But if you haven't grabbed it yet, uh, if you're an existing subscriber, uh, the link actually went out in last week's podcast episode. I'll probably send it out again just in case some uh, subscribers missed it. But if you haven't subscribed yet, you get it automatically when you subscribe for free, you do not have to choose a premium option. It will be sent directly to you uh, in the welcome email after you subscribe. And of course, we would appreciate it if you did choose a premium option at some point, because I am going to make it extremely worth your while. I hope the free version is extremely worth your while, but I'm really going to make it worth your while uh, with the deeper dive education that we're doing. So. Uh, Check that out as well. If you want more details about what that entails, I think the URL is longevitygains.com slash premium. I'm double checking that right now, and you are correct. Longevitygains.com slash premium. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's how we do it. All right, well, let's hop in. <laughs> let's hop into this week's topic, Brian. We're going to be talking about artificial, intelli artificial intelligence and the longevity economy. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's on the, everyone's mind. It, it's been interesting. We, we've now had eight months of intense hype and speculation since uh, chat GPT four, well, really three and then four broke through in a big way, uh, at least in our world. I don't know. I know that the general population is seeing stuff about AI all the time, but they don't get the level of hyperbole that, uh, that we get in the digital marketing community. It's kind of died down a little bit, Jared, and I think people are settling into, okay, this is here. This is a real thing. Yes, it will continue to improve, but the world's not going to change overnight, especially at the corporate level, which you had to realize they're never going to let employees input company intelligence and trade secrets in a public forum that is ripping off the open web to begin with. What about those copyright lawsuits, Jared? Let's hear your legal analysis on that. Yeah, well, I don't even I don't even have legal analysis. I just have common sense on it. And you knew that those were coming and now you're starting to see a lot of them come out. And that's, you know, I feel like we see this pattern in a lot of technological advancements where it's, it's hype and there's, you know, everybody gets all kind of, you know, up in arms about it and excited about it. And then it kind of dies down a little bit as you realize, okay, this is going to take a little bit longer to kind of fully infiltrate daily life. And oh yeah, there's all these complications, legal implementation and otherwise that are just going to make it a little bit slower. And it kind of feels like we're in that phase right now. We've all been, or a lot of us have been introduced to the power and the potential of it, but now, you know, the act, what it's actually going to be like uh, in reality is going to take a little bit longer to actually roll out. 
Yeah, it's like the general rule of anticipating trends. It takes longer than you think for a lot of change to happen. And then other stuff comes along out of nowhere. And uh, and that happens really quickly um, to a certain degree, even though this demographic change that we talk about at longevity gains is has been, you know, we've we've known it's coming for decades, you know. And yet I think for some people, it is catching them quickly off guard right now in a way that was unexpected because yes, this is going to continue happening for the rest of the century at least, but it's also happening right now. When you've got a demographic group, and we only speak about demographics in the broadest sense here, but that that controls, you know, that they're already responsible for half of all consumer spending and 83% of household wealth. That's right now. And it's virtually wide open because, well, read the ebook. You'll you'll figure that one out. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we've got uh, a few questions here that we want to kind of contemplate around this topic. Let's start with the first one, uh, which is what will AI do to the demand for workers? How are you viewing that? Yeah, so ever since I came back after uh, you know the acquisitions of Studio Press and Rainmaker, traveled for a bit, and then came back to uh, for, you know with further and and pivoted that to uh, middle aged people, uh, which it is today. That has been a topic that I've returned to over and over. What's going to happen uh, with AI? And the job market, specifically for people over the age of 50, who tend to get laid off um, or let go or early retired uh, in lieu of younger workers, uh, which has been the case for decades now, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, maybe it did at some point, but it doesn't now. So it was something that I came back to over and over and further. I also wrote a report for Copyblogger, uh, one of my last things I did over there a couple of years ago. Basically, it was 2020, and it was called The Killer and the Poet. And it was basically like, you can't just string words together and succeed because AI is going to do that. And this was, you know, at the very beginning, the first iteration of ChatGPT at that time. And I think some people said, yeah, this is probably right. And other people are like, whatever. And then two years later, bam. (laughs) So, you know, it's uh, we anticipate these things and we don't know how they're going to work out. But my take right now is a little bit more informed after a lot more research, a lot more understanding of the labor force, everyone knows it's an incredibly tight job market right now, one of the lowest unemployment rates in US history. And it doesn't seem like there's any relief going forward. Some people are calling this a perpetual talent shortage. And it may well be that the combination of older people working longer and augmentation by AI is actually the cure we need for not enough workers in the first place due to the plummeting birth rates. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 
what then do you think, what impact then will that have, you know, on, on the companies? I mean, as again, as older workers are able to stay on longer augmented, as you said, by AI, what are some of the kind of internal impacts that that can have on companies? Yeah. The research I'm seeing right now is that AI best augments younger unskilled workers. They're able to do more, um, you know, with even less training and experience because they have AI as a resource. Think about customer service, think about, you know, basic tasks that you would have to read the company manual. And now you've got, you know, an AI uh, chatbot or, or some other sort of assistance. On the other hand, uh, certainly the older people who are now, you know, gen, older Gen Xers and young boomers in the C-suite they're not going to lay themselves off. <laughs> but in general, older people have what we what is known as crystallized intelligence. This is basically wisdom and experience compared to maybe faster processing speed that younger people have. So those people are necessary because they have um, the kind of human intelligence that AI can't replicate at this point. Now it's the people. It's always the people in the middle, Jared, <laughs> that have to look out for it. But, but what I've been seeing as a theme over and over is that middle management may be in trouble because that layer of bureaucracy in most corporations is just not necessary once you've implemented enough uh, automation and artificial intelligence within an organization. So that might be the area that gets hit. But then again, if you don't have enough workers in general, okay, well, people that would have gone there go into other roles and it all works out. You know, we still don't know um, what new jobs that we haven't even been able to conceive of yet are going to be created as we get deeper into this. But we do know they will generally be focused on the very human things that we do best and allowing the machines to do stuff that they're better at. You know, the note on middle management is interesting to me because, I mean, it does make sense, you know, as things are automated and we get more efficient, okay, maybe we can remove this layer. But, you know, the other thing I think about is, you know, as you have older people staying in the workforce longer, there are going to be more intergenerational teams with within companies. And I think there are a lot of reasons to think that's a benefit. You know, those teams are going to have a wider diversity of experiences and perspectives to draw on, but there are also tensions that happen with intergenerational teams and working together. And so I wonder if middle management won't go away so much or, or won't, won't be as focused on efficiency and effectiveness. And maybe that role morphs into kind of more emotional and relationship management as you get these more generationally diverse teams that have the benefits, have the drawbacks, but you know may need kind of a different style of management that can take into account all these different perspectives. Do you think that could kind of be that where that role transitions to? That's an interesting point. And everything's pointing toward how well intergenerational teams um, work in general and their pr productivity and their creativity and output, it's off the charts. Again, there are so many benefits to having not only older workers staying on, but, you know, this diverse intergenerational workforce, 
it's just stuff that we've been missing out on for decades because everyone's trying to push everyone out the door because of the retirement myth that hasn't really existed in three decades. I mean, at least since the pensions ran out and we switched to 401ks, it's not been the same thing. And yet we think of that the world hasn't changed. So that's a good point. Uh, it's interesting to see. But I think the best thing we can say right now is that it's going to happen slowly and it doesn't look like companies can afford to do mass layoffs in general. Now, I will have one caveat to that. The tech layoffs that happen, those people, those jobs aren't coming back. Those are the most AI and automated uh, firms in the world because they are the creators of it. So that happened, but those people went and found other jobs. And I think some of that quote unquote tech talent disseminating through the general business population is what needs to happen to bring Main Street up to the level of some of these more sophisticated firms. Hmm. All right. So as we start to think about, you know, marketing or creating businesses that cater to older customers, and we think about how we'll be able to use AI in those pursuits, how much, if at all, are we going to be able to rely on AI? to help us generate, you know, marketing strategies or content, you know, marketing, uh, you know, campaigns that are actually going to be effective? Yeah, that is a great question. And this is a very unique spot. So as we touched on, and, and people probably know, generative AI uh, is only as smart as the material it's trained on. And what it's trained on at this point is what's out there in the, the broader world, mainly on the internet, right? So you have this unique situation where we're talking about a market that's been completely ignored or the marketing that is done, the marketing and advertising that is aimed at older consumers is often terrible, right? It's cringy, it's ageist, it's demeaning, it's insulting, it's laughable. It's I've fallen and I can't get up kind of stuff, right? So what is AI able to be trained on? You know, that's why I'm putting a lot of longevity guns behind a paywall. I don't want that AI. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it, it's a it's a serious point. So we're just now exploring how do you do this effectively? Uh, we don't have a lot of case studies to work from, so we have to extrapolate from other areas. You know, that's why I used. Apple's marketing as as a baseline because it's probably the best example of values based marketing ever. So uh, that's a good starting point. So we have to we have to do a little bit harder work than um, just simple informational type post about you know this is how you snake your pipe for a plumbing disaster. You know there's a lot of use for generic AI created content. You know, it's generally more grammatically correct. Uh, you know, there are realms where AI content is just fine. Um, and there's even some areas where you can start with uh, an AI draft and then add the human elements to it, which I think is going to become more common. Um, but not so much that you can just crank out uh, communication 
that resonates with older people because there's just simply nothing there to really work with. And as far as your point about marketing strategy, I've actually done this and it's so humorous to me because you know, you ask for a content marketing strategy from ChatGPT and it spits out two sentences about demographics and a whole list of tactics. Mm-hmm. Post videos to YouTube. Try email marketing. I mean, that's not a strategy. <laughs> no. And and thinking you understand anyone based on demographics is basically the mistake that's been made so far. Everyone over 50 is lumped together in one big bucket. That is the worst idea I've ever heard. You can't do that to any demographic. So there's so much room here for human beings to really thrive. But, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, um, really, it's the human element that's going to connect with people. So even if we get to the point in the future where AI can help us crank out uh, structural and foundational information, it's still up to us to add in the uniquely human elements, you know, emotion, belief, values, attitudes. I read this uh, great thing about how belief needs to be integrated into AI. And the basic uh, conclusion was, this is a hard problem. And that is why I focus so much on how important that is to truly understand how to communicate with anyone, uh, but especially older consumers. So uh, yeah, I'm not worried about AI. And I, I, I can proudly say, not that I'm a Luddite or anything like that, but longevity gains so far is 100% AI free, <laughs> organic Brian content. <laughs> we need, I'm we old need an school. organic label for content. Yeah, now, just like that. Organic, <laughs> no AI. <laughs> we should make a stamp. Do you think you could do we that? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. No, I mean, it's just, it's really important to understand what it's good at and what it's not. You know, I think AI can be really good. Chat GPT can be really good right now for brainstorming, maybe for discovering a framework that you don't know about. Like there's some things that it can help you do, but there's a human element to it that AI just can't deliver right now. And I'm not even really sure that it's in the foreseeable future that it will be able to deliver that. And I want to get back to a point that you made, um, you know, which is about the mistake people make, especially with, you know, with older folks of basically treating them all the same. And I, I saw a yeah. great quote. I was reading this article um, from the Stanford Business Center, and this is from Laura Karstensen, uh, who's the founding director of the Stanford Center on Longevity. And she had a quote that really summed this up. And her quote is, the population 65 and over is more heterogeneous than any other age group. We can make some really good informed guesses about what five-year-olds are like. Try to do that for 80-year-olds. It doesn't work. And I think that's only, you know, unquote, and I think that's only going to get more pronounced as, you know, older people are, you know, as, as lifespans and health spans grow and more people are able to maintain their autonomy later in life, make different you know life choices. Um, I think that's only going to grow, and it's such an important thing to remember because I you know kind of feel the same way as you. A lot of the marketing that's aimed at older people does treat everybody as exactly the same, and that's just that's bad marketing in any sense, but especially with this group. And I don't think people quite understand that. Yeah, it's true. The you see it over and over again, especially in the anti-ageist 
uh, activism community. If you've met one 80 year old, you've, you've met one 80 year old. Same is true for 70 or 60, uh, possibly even in, in fifties. Um, I was just watching a special, um, after watching the latest episode of only murders in the building, I watched Martin short and Steve Martin do their two man show. And Steve Martin is 78 and sharp as a tack. Harrison Ford is 81 and played Indiana Jones again. And then we've got poor Mitch McConnell, and I'm not making jokes. I feel bad for him. Mm -hmm. um, not everyone ages the same, but I think it's surprising for people to learn, especially younger people who are calling for age-based term limits and whatever, which it's a viable discussion. But, you know, Two th over two thirds of people never have dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that. It's just when we see something like that, it's shocking and we think it's more prevalent. And if you've ever had to deal with a loved one a relative that, that has gone through this, it's devastating, but it's not as common as people think. And, and now we talk about healthy aging and increased health spans that younger people, by younger, I mean people like me in, in my mid-50s, are taking care of themselves in a way, just like in the 70s, you were a weirdo if you jogged, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the world has changed. The level of information has changed. The longevity industry from the health standpoint is massive. People are interested in this stuff. Uh, they're trying to take better care of themselves. And yet not everyone, as we uh, I wrote about in longevity gains that, that, you know, the longevity economy is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Some portions of the United States are shockingly unhealthy. And Mitch McConnell's Kentucky is right there in the middle of it. And it's just it's sad. But again, I think you have to focus on the people who are vibrant who are taking care of themselves, who do have positive uh, attitudes about aging, who are interested in, in being intellectually active, continuing to work, whatever it may be. So it's uh, it's it's a fascinating thing. I never really thought I'd be last week. You pointed out that I was excited about it, but it's it's a fascinating area beyond the dollar signs, right? And I think that's what's got me kind of jazzed up about it. It is. Well, and the thing is, this generalized kind of unnuanced view of older adults and the way that they're often communicated to is why there's a big opportunity. <laughs> right, exactly. Group just, that group <laughs> just keeps growing in terms of, you know, buying power and influence and, you know, so if you're just going to keep trying the same old methods, you're going to fail. And the people who I think take, again, the, the view that we're uh, advocating for here, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to reach people um, who have a lot of vigor and enthusiasm and resources to, you know, to buy what you're selling or, you know, do what you're asking. So that's yeah. why the opportunity is there. Absolutely. And then back to your original point or question about, you know, what What can't AI help us with uh, when you're dealing with this kind of, you know, uh, just very individualistic and unique group of people? Um, you know, the first thing you have to do 
is regardless of where your baseline information comes from, old-fashioned research, reading books, or chat GPT, um, you've got to add elements to your content, your information that makes it transcend boring facts and creates a positive attitude from the audience towards you. That's rule number one of persuasion. They need to know, like, and trust you, right? Um, so again, all the advice that people struggle with already, all the great you know, freelance content marketers out there who's like, you need a point of view, you need to stand for something. What they're talking about there are you, you have to have attitudes. Attitudes are basically um, your opinion about something in its simplest form, your point of view, um, and your take on something. And this is what so many companies are afraid to do in the first place. Um, but I'd say in this kind of empower empowerment marketing that we're going to dig into deeper, both here and in the uh, premium lessons, that's the whole thing, right? The, the, but the, the point is you have to understand what the belief system is, the worldview and the resulting values and attitudes before you can match those things up. So at this point, AI is not going to help you with that. Even in the future, you would have to be able to prompt AI in a way that would give you the right answer because these generic kind of formulations based on topics and, and interest and things like that aren't going to get you there. Then you've got all the emotional elements that require a human touch. Again, bad marketers and you know newbie copywriters will try to use emotion like fear or uh, other you know kind of dicey propositional elements that are based on emotions. But if you don't know what someone believes in the first place and how they see the world, then that could backfire spectacularly because they could have the exact opposite reaction of what you're looking for. I saw a video the other day, I think it was on threads and there was this guy trying to pick up a snake with a, with, you know, it was like one of those um, parks and rec guys trying to pick up a snake off the sidewalk. And it was basically, it was a water snake. It's not dangerous. And then this little girl walked up, picked up the snake and put it in the Creek. And it was just hilarious because she had no fear she yeah. was like, what is wrong with you with your little stick? You know, just pick up the snake. Um, but yeah, snakes are a great, if simplistic example, I'm scared to death of snakes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, so if, if uh, that's just an element of when you try to project fear, but you don't know what their attitude towards snakes are, uh, that could work or that could backfire. It just depends. You have to know your audience. Now, again, that's a very simplistic example but it gives you an idea of what I'm trying to talk about here. So you first have to understand the beliefs, the worldview, and the attitudes of your specific audience. There is no old people audience, okay? Yep. <laughs> Just get that out of your head. Yeah. You know, the other thing I found interesting, um, it was from this Stanford article that I was referencing earlier with Laura Carsonson. One of the ideas they talked about, and AI certainly isn't going to be able to help you with this, but it's strategic subtlety in a sense, which is that, you know, older adults, and you've talked about this in several articles at Longevity Gains, older adults don't want to be marketed to as 70 to 80 year olds, 
right? They don't, that's not how they want to be marketed to, but also younger consumers aren't necessarily going to be attracted to products that their parents might be interested in if they're positioned that way. And so crafting messages with older consumers in mind, but not necessarily overt is a way to, you know, to reach them uh, while also not, you know, completely making your message something that even a younger audience might not be able to buy into as well. And, you know, it's yeah. that kind of, you know, again, just strategic subtlety that, you know, AI may be, may be able to help you uncover strategies that have worked for others in the past to learn from, but it's not going to help you figure out what the right strategy is for your people. It's got to be based on that foundation of the beliefs, the worldviews, the attitudes that you talked about, uh, and then really understanding, okay, who are these people and what message is actually going to reach them um, and not, you know, kind of have a backfire effect, which you've also discussed. Yeah, as we go forward with this podcast, uh, you and I are going to do some audio lessons in a conversational format where we talk about how, you know, yeah, it's not aging that people want to hear about, even though there may be specific products and services, especially new things that are innovative that are age specific, but really Older people are people too, and they want to have fun and they want to be active. And, you know, they respond to a lot of things that people of all ages respond to, but in their own unique way. And I think that's what you're getting at there. Yeah. There were other, a couple other questions I was thinking about as we were prepping for this. You know, I was reading this um, article from the World Economic Forum Global Future Council on Healthy Aging and Longevity, which is a very long name uh, for a group. Uh, but they basically asked their members to describe how they saw technological advancements, you know, best impacting people as they age. And most of the answers really boiled down to two things, increasing social connections and then, you know, advancements in preventative care and active monitoring, they're going to allow more people to age in place while maintaining their autonomy, you know, so not having to go into an assisted living facility or even moving in with their kids, but really, you know, be able to maintain, um, you know, their freedom and their autonomy. And I think if you have more people aging in place because of, you know, the preventative care, because of the active monitoring, because of just, just understanding how to create a longer health span the big risk there then becomes loneliness. Um, and that's actually one of the biggest factors in health span is social connections. And so if you can help older adults combat that loneliness, which helps them live longer and better and increases the likelihood uh, of them maintaining their autonomy and their economic activity, I think that's a big opportunity. And it's not necessarily something that that AI is going to help with, although it can help tactically. But when it comes to facilitating connections and community, this gets us right back to that human touch. And I think there is going to be an opportunity here for companies who are smart about it and who are uh, adept at that. If you can facilitate those connections, that's going to help you build trust, help build authority, social proof, uh, and just increase the power of the messages that you're that you're sending to these people who are really going to need the social connections as they get older. Yeah. And you've hit upon one of the biggest areas of innovative new products and services in that social connection, combating loneliness. Um, older people, contrary to stereotypes, are very adept at using technology, especially 
when it does things, you know, for people on the older side, um, mobility, uh, coordination among uh, friends and like-minded people in their general area. Uh, there have been some great examples of of people using, you know, just basic stuff like uh, WhatsApp and Facebook and and what have you uh, to do that kind of thing. But um, it, it's it's a big area, and there's so much room for innovation there. So we will be exploring that in detail in the future. Um, but yeah, this is the anti-retirement community thing, right? Um, we hear about the villages and all of that, but most people don't want that. And I don't think that's really good for a healthy society for people to wall themselves off. Hey, maybe some of those people in the villages, they, they can stay over there. But, um, you know, I, it, it's just not what most people want. They want to be out in the world, right? And again, you know, it, that just feeds into and perpetuates uh, stereotypes that are relatively small, like the amount of people that suffer from dementia, but seem like it's everyone. And again, this is just kind of how our culture operates at the moment. So there's so much misinformation and bad ideas out there that it's almost like the old, what am I going to write about, you know, for my older audience, uh, this week will almost never happen because <laughs> there, there's so much happening. And again, this is, um, you know, in the next five to seven years where I just see things ramping up and where a lot of early opportunity is. Everyone's like, I wish I would have got on, on, got in on X, Y, or Z. And then you say, well, here's the next big thing. And they're like, but it's too early. And I'm like, no, it's not. That's the whole point. That's why you start now. <laughs> But, you know, again, I, I've said it before, I was early with content marketing, WordPress, and online education. This thing is more of a sure thing, and it's bigger than all of them put together and multiplied by 10. So, Well, the trend isn't uh, theoretical. It's like- here. Exactly. It's right. <laughs> so that, yeah, it's real. That makes it different. Yeah. The, the last question that I'm, I was just kind of interested in is the potential for AI to lower or remove barriers- that you know currently make it harder for older adults to launch their own online businesses because i think you know you have a lot of older adults now that have knowledge and wisdom um, and they could launch successful consulting coaching educational businesses but you know as as we've even seen with people that we've worked with the tech part often gets in the way and so if ai can make the tech aspects of launching that you know from website to design to transcription you know all the different things that it takes it can create new opportunities for older workers who may be displaced from their current job or dissatisfied with their current job to take that more into their own hands, you know, where, you know, instead of having to rely on other people or, you know, hire someone and it get real expensive. Some of these tools I think are going to make that more accessible um, in the near future. Yeah. So I was just reading an article. I think it was in the New York times, but I'm not sure. Anyways, it was it's one of these counterintuitive things about AI and automation that it's actually allowing older workers to stay in the the labor market for longer because it takes away some of uh the barriers 
to, uh, you know, sticking around, right? And that could be everything from robotics in more physical jobs and, um, and of course, uh, augmentation in knowledge worker jobs. So if that's the case, I've always been saying, you know, in the last eight months, well, I don't know what's going to happen with the job market and whether or not, um, you know, my big thing is probably not layoffs, but that some corporations, if not most of them, will use AI in an oppressive way to monitor you and and have these productivity, you know, uh, goals that are are just terrible and you don't want to be in that environment. But you know me, I'm biased. I mean, we've been running a site called Unemployable for the last four years. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing. Um, if you're the owner of the business, AI is the best thing that's ever happened. I don't care if that's you know, Fortune 500 or uh, your own small little consulting business, because the more you replace yourself, as long as you still are doing what's required to bring in customers and clients, then that is the greatest thing that's ever happened. So the fact that, you know, Gen X is the most entrepreneurial generation is very tech savvy. And again, it's a misconception. Baby boomers are are very adept with technology compared to the perceptions. Mm -hmm. But are you really going to say that the generation that founded Google and Twitter and Dell Computer and <laughs> Tesla and, you know, I mean, are you really going to say that we can't handle new technology? But here's the real answer. The technology advances we're going to see with AI are where you don't even have to formulate this brilliant prompt. Because right now, that is an art and a skill that that is not just common to people, yeah. right? But now they're already talking about, well, we've got software that creates prompts or effectively AI that talks to AI for you so that you can get the results you want. So I think to answer your question, it's going to be a boon for older people, both in the labor market and the more entrepreneurial people. Um, and again, of course, we would lean to the own your own business thing. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, uh, we haven't had pensions since really the, the 70s. But if you own a business where you can replace most of what you do with technology and maybe the rest of it with an employee or freelancers, that's your pension, right? The business throws out your salary and keeps going. There you have it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want you to save for retirement, but I would trust that more than what happens to your IRA after the next financial crisis. Mm. Now, I'm I'm glad you made that point, you know, because you mentioned earlier um, and I think there is this perception that AI best augments, you know, younger and, and unskilled workers. And obviously there are some pretty clear ways where it does augment the work that those types of workers are going to do. But I think that does sometimes undersell the impact that AI can have on older workers who are in the workforce, you know, and helping, you know, combat, yep. you know, some of the issues that can happen, you know, as, as you get older and, um, you know, and it's, it's just a, it's a different type of work. You know, I think when you have an older worker who has more experience and wisdom, you know, they're better able to do some of that strategic work, ask the right questions. Um, you know, and if you can then have AI that, you know, kind of helps you get some of the underlying stuff done, that's going to be a big benefit. So it's, you know, yeah, 
I think the distinction here is younger workers are augmented as a form of tr- on-the-job training. Yeah. And older workers are augmented in ways that takes away some of the repetitive tedium and other uh, confusion that happens with multiple you know, software programs having to deal with this all the time. So it's two different use cases uh, from the same technology. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, all right, Brian, I'm going to end by asking you your favorite question that I always ask you, which is, do you have any parting thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Literally before this episode, I said, Jared, I hate when you say, do you have any parting thoughts? Because generally I don't. I've kind of, I laid it all out on the field for you, Jared. And then That's you're right. just like, come on, Brian, one more thing, right? No, <laughs> no, but um, you know, there, there's a lot to say. We could probably do this episode for another hour if we really wanted to, but mm-hmm. let's not give it people everything all at once. We've uh, we've got a lot of great stuff to come, but I kind of hinted at it. We're going to do a series that's more at the um, I won't say tactical because it is uh, you know, sub strategy content. Uh, and messaging approaches to, you know, connecting with older consumers that are like, as you mentioned, uh, especially relevant for them. So in between uh, our interviews with guests, we've got a uh, another great episode with a guest uh, coming up. Uh, but Jared and I are going to go through a series of audio lessons, I guess we would call them, where we explore some of the uh, tactical level of communicating with people, which will augment and and maybe whet your appetite for some of the deeper stuff we do in the uh, the premium lessons. So that is what I've got to close things off, Jared. Excellent. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing the music that you hear on the show. Thanks to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our show art and our logo. Go to longevitygains.com slash premium. Uh, check that out. Get signed up. Get the ebook, uh, And subscribe to Longevity Gains wherever you listen to podcasts. And Brian, we will be back next week. Same time, same place. I will see you then. Yeah.